Welcome, Welcome back to, to the, the Dead, Dead to the World podcast. I'm Lexi. I'm Mama Don. And I'm Tasha. We all did that at the same time. I that was going to say, funny. wait, we don't normally do it that way. We don't. It's all good. Welcome back. We hope you had a wonderful Christmas. And guess what today is? Happy New Year. New Year's Day. Woo! And we thought, what a better way to start New Year's than to be ourselves and talk about whatever we wanted to talk about. <laughs> yeah. yeah, let me talk about whatever the heck I want. It works. <laughs> <laughs> or it could be because we couldn't decide on one subject. <laughs> Sometimes that tends to be the case. And then we'll, we're like, you know what? Just go find something. We'll go with individuality, though. Yeah, we love individuality. Since pretty much all of our dream interpretations tell us, stop pretending to be someone that you're not and be who you are. So right. that's my New Year's message to all y'all. Oh, yeah. We should think about, like, what is your New Year's resolutions? Mine's to lose weight. Yeah, the two months that I was sick, I crave cheap pizza. So Little <laughs> Caesars pizza. pizza for two months. Pajamas for, for two, two months. months. Pajamas? Yeah, you I worked from pajamas? home. No, oh, I worked from oh, home. Oh, okay, okay. So I was wearing pajamas. So now that I'm back in the office, my re- my regular clothes just don't quite fit the same. <laughs> <laughs> okay, gotcha. Lex, what about you? Um. Oh, wait, was there more than yours than just no, losing weight? Okay. No, just losing some weight. Okay, Lex. That's a good question. I don't know. I didn't hmm. think about it yet. Well, you better hurry. I mean, you've been doing good with like eating and exercising, so you could just continue that. I would like to continue that. (laughs) (laughs) I lost 15 pounds this year. Woo! Yay! Nice job. Which is good because normally, you know, at the beginning of the year, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do it. And then at the end of the year, I'm like, ooh. I'm going to do it. I didn't do it. But this year, I did. (laughs) Yeah, you did. And you did it like the right way, the slow way. That just eating healthy and exercising. Which also 15 pounds in a year, I guess, doesn't really sound like that much. But I wasn't trying the whole year necessarily. 15? Like one well, yeah. five? Yeah. Okay. But there's also the, yeah, I can lose 20 pounds in, you know, a few months doing a very strict diet. But it come January, am I still going to have it off the next year? True. That's my goal. Let's also, lose just 20 clarify, pounds and keep it off. The only We don't only care about weight here. I feel like we talk about it a lot. but I think it's just because we're women. And I think just women in general worry about that stuff. That's true. I was going to say that. Actually, last year, my goal was to lose weight, and I lost 30 pounds. And then you got pregnant. But I'm still under my starting, like, what my starting weight Uh, was when I decided to do the diet. So that's good. So I did technically keep it off. And you have a whole other human. And I have a whole, I have a whole other human attached to me, and I'm still lower than what I, so that just tells you I was bigger than I wanted to be in the first place. Um, okay. But for this year, I think my New Year's resolution will be, like, once I've had the baby and things settled down to, like, make sure I, any gate that I have waned. Any what? Any, every gate that I had waned. Any weight <laughs> that I have gained from the baby. Yeah. Like, basically, where was I when I got pregnant? I want to be back to that. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. So. That makes sense. But there is one thing I just want to put out for everybody. Like, your worth is not wrapped up in your size yeah that's all i think that's what lexi was trying to say that's what i was trying to say and i do feel that way like i think it's so funny we're so hard on ourselves but it's like nobody else around me looks at me and says gosh her butt got a little bigger and if they are they still love me anyway (laughs) (laughs) you make a good point though all right well um tosh you're gonna start today yes tis i Tasha, it oh is <laughs> I. <laughs> so okay, so I was gonna talk about like pregnancy and sleep and like 
that type of thing. But then mom was like, didn't we already talk about that? And I was like, I don't know. Did we? I don't know. I just knew we talked about pregnancy and dreams. Yeah, we did two episodes about it. So I was like, I don't know what we covered. And I didn't so have time to okay. listen. So it's <laughs> okay. So I just went down another path. <laughs> so what I'm going to talk about today is SIDS or sudden infant death syndrome. And I'm and I'm covering this topic not to be sad and depressing, but mm-hmm. to bring awareness not only to those listening, but to myself. Yes. Since I'm going to have a child, I I yeah, I'm definitely one of those moms, I guess, now that like I dig into everything. So all right. So first of all, let's talk about what is SIDS. SIDS is sudden infant death syndrome. It is sudden and unexplained death of a baby younger than one years old. Most SIDS deaths are associated with sleep, which is why it's sometimes called crib death. Mm-hmm. So can SIDS be prevented? A lack That's a good question. It is a good question. A lack of answers is part of what makes SIDS so frightening. SIDS is the leading cause of death among infants one month to one years old and remains unpredictable despite years of research. Dang. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that's just terrifying. And that's just like they said, it makes it more frightening because it's not necessarily something that you can is prevent. like, oh, don't give them bananas and then they won't have SIDS. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's not so self-explanatory, I guess, is the phrase there. Well, and there's always advice they give you for things to help yes. prevent them from not being able to breathe. But SIDS, yeah, it's not, it's not predictable. Not predictable, yes. Um. Even so, though, the risk of SIDS can be greatly reduced. So most important, babies younger than one year old should be placed on their backs to sleep, never on their stomachs or on their sides. Sleeping on the stomach or side can increase the risk for SIDS. That's so interesting to me. I know. Because you guys, when you were born, the advice from the doctors at that time was on the side. So we had like the special like triangle type cushion that we would lay you in mm-hmm. to keep you on your side. Interesting. Um, I also know, and I'll probably go over that in here, but since we're talking about it now, um, also like no blankets, mm-hmm. no pillows, no, like literally you no just set the animals. child down in like just an empty crib yeah. <laughs> or bassinet or whatever the case may be. Well, and I noticed that, um, so our grandbaby, Chloe, so since they didn't want blankets, she just had like these sleeping blankets that went over her pajamas that was just like a... Like a onesie zip-up like sleeping sack. Oh, yeah, called. yeah. That's what it's called, Yeah, sleeping I've sack. seen those. Or ones that, like, that are inside the a sack. Swaddle. You can, like, Velcro the arms in, and mm-hmm. then it's, it's like, a swaddle. Yeah. So. Lexi knows. I know. Uh, don't ask me why I know, but apparently I know. <laughs> wow. Lexi's the true mother over here. No, it's because I only see those videos where they <laughs> take the babies out of the swaddle in the morning, and they oh, do they their go, stretch. Ah. So that's how I know that's what it's called. <laughs> that's funny. So most SIDS death happen in babies between one and four months. Um, the cases rise during cold weather, which makes sense because you're probably worried about them being cold. So you put blankets or you put them snuggled up in something or possibly what the case. I don't know. That's just my opinion, I guess. Yeah. But I don't know actually if that's. I mean, I wonder if sickness has something to do with that. Could be. Could be. Like if they got a respiratory cold yeah. or something that maybe you didn't, yeah. weren't aware of. So I have a quick little bullet points here of babies uh, might have a higher risk of SIDS if. And then Mm -hmm. these are the following. So if the mother smoked, drank, or used drugs during pregnancy, the mother had poor prenatal care, Mm -hmm. they were born prematurely or had a low birth weight, there's a history of SIDS within, like, the family, which is so interesting because it's, like... Maybe genetic. 
some genetic maybe but then or maybe it's just okay unfortunately have you had multiple cases in your family where Mm -hmm. a child has passed due to SIDS I don't know that's interesting um if the mother was younger than 20 years of age when they gave birth Interesting. interesting I know I was like what and I think I mean, just well, they don't tell you why they know that this is a thing. It's just the statistics, I guess. Yeah, of, just like okay. what they've come up with, That's I guess. So interesting. I know, right? And then um, if they are around tobacco smoke use, like after birth, mm-hmm. uh, if they get overheated, if they sleep on a soft surface, if they sleep on soft objects or loose blankets and pillows, or if they sleep in the parent's bed. Okay, this is all terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's it all sounds terrifying. like, of course... Anything you can do to prevent accidental suffocation. Yeah. But I think with SIDS, they can't even prove that it was suffocation. They don't really know. They don't know. Yeah. What happened. So it's like these are things that can prevent. But that's interesting. Yeah. Too about the like, like ages. the age. I know. Yeah. So um, it does say that doctors diagnose most health concerns based on symptoms that they cause. Yeah. But SIDS is diagnosed after all other possibilities of death causes have been ruled out. Mm-hmm. Uh, this review helps tell true SID deaths from those due to just accidents, abuse, or previously undiagnosed conditions, such as like a heart issue or problem. Okay. So basically... So they do an autopsy yeah, to determine. they do an autopsy. And basically, if it's like, if nothing else points to any path of mm-hmm. like making sense, and it's just SIDS. It's just called SIDS. I feel like... Eventually, someday, they're going to figure out, you know what I mean? Like what it is. Like what it is. And then we're all going to be like, oh, and it will make sense. You know what I mean? Maybe. That'd like be maybe nice. we just don't have the advanced technology or something. It could be. I know that um, my sister-in-law, who she's passed away now. In fact, today's her birthday that we're recording. Yes. The 28th of December. Happy birthday, Aunt Mama. Carol. Aunt Carol. Happy birthday. So, um, but she ran a daycare and she did have a baby die once of SIDS while in her care. <gasps> mm-hmm. And that I was, that. yeah, that really. Took looked, a toll, I'm sure. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. She was super, of course, super, super worried about it ever happening. But they were able to, you know, determine that she didn't, she wasn't at fault. Anyway. Right. Like there it was wasn't something that done. they did. Right. Yep. Oh my gosh. That's just yep. scary. That I think scary. that's like the biggest scary thing of being like a daycare owner. Oh yeah. If that were to happen. Yeah, and actually there is – actually, let me find it really quick. Here it is. So there's like an, a research study, Corgi.com, which I thought was funny. <laughs> Corgi. Um, they state that 20% of SID cases occur in child care centers, while 60% occur in family child care centers as well. So like I don't really know what the difference I think between they like, with like your family. family taking care of them, watching them for you, or in like a daycare. Mm, I see what you're saying. Okay, so 20% would be like a child care center, and then 60% would be within the family, but yes. someone else is just like watching, watching them. them. Okay, mm-hmm. I got you. I was wondering, I'm like, I don't know what the difference is, but uh, basically one third of SID cases occur within the first week of them being in a child care center. So what I wonder if it's just like stress on them or something. Maybe. It says one half of these cases occur within the first day. Due to these statistics, researchers have been trying to figure out what leads to these these type of cases happening in childcare centers. While the result is still like inconclusive, they've kind of maybe identified that the tummy sleeping and stress due to a change of environment. Oh, so Lexi. Lexi, you were well, thank you. Well, the only other 
I know of some twins where one passed away, I think at two or three months, mm-hmm. and the other one lived, and they were in, I believe, the same crib. Are we talking about? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so, like, there was, yeah, there was, there, there was really nothing different about how each baby was sleeping. Yeah. They were in the same day. environment. They were, you know, laying the same way, and one passed. Well, that's why I wonder, I I mean, what if they have, I don't know, me trying to figure out what it is. I mean, what if it is all just stress-induced somehow, and it just depends on how that individual baby handles whatever stress is going on. Yeah. That's and I also, true. you know, there's, even though maybe they can't see a developmental flaw, it seems like there's got to be something with their respiratory system that's actually, because, I mean, you, you stop breathing. That's how you pass away. Yeah. So, and then, two, let's just talk about tummy sleeping. Because, of course, that's, like, one thing they say, don't. Yeah, and that's what was popular when I was a baby. <laughs> I was a tummy-sleeping baby. You were a tummy-sleeping baby. Well, we're glad you're still here. I'm a tummy-sleeping adult. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not. And even, like, I just can't sleep on my belly. And right now, I definitely can't, can't sleep on my no, belly. It would be like a teeter-totter. It's like, oh. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> such infants are at great risk, those that can't lift their head, mm-hmm. while in a sleeping position and so therefore they lack the upper body strength to need to change sleeping positions and in that case can lose oxygen Mm -hmm. so that's kind of the main i guess reason why they say don't lay a baby on the stomach for sleeping now they say it's okay to have the baby on the stomach with like playtime yeah and like being supervised watched Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah well almost makes me wonder we talked about this on the podcast before i'm sure when you had your non uh breathing episode in the in the swing yeah we did but it makes me wonder what if it wasn't even like because they said oh maybe some nerve got pinched that tells you to breathe well maybe that's how these people that maybe that's how sit happens is mm. the nerve that tells you to breathe is pinched like pinched off not the communication isn't happening but then now it makes me wonder what if you had been in a crib instead of in the swing and you might maybe it had nothing to do with being in the the swing. The swing, and it just had to do with the b- fact that you were seen, and somebody grabbed you and like mm. shook you and yeah, got you breathing again. Like, what if you had been in the crib and like nobody sleep, saw you? What if it was you? like a sleeping time of day, not just like we were hanging out somewhere downstairs type of day? Yeah, that's scary. Yeah, that um, is scary. I never thought about that before. And then, real quick, too, this other article called KidsHelp.org brings up something that I'm like, oh, okay, and I didn't think about it. But basically, what they're saying is. If a baby is breathing, like, down on stomach, okay, the brain usually triggers the baby to wake up and cry to get more oxygen, right? Okay. Gotcha. But with the baby being, like, face down, particularly a baby sleeping on soft mattresses or with bedding, stuffed toys, pillows near their face, when the baby releases exhaled air, which would be their oxygen, instead of that kind of, like, the carbon Excelling? monoxide yes, doesn't they're go basically away. just breathing right back in their own carbon oh. monoxide, just like on space, the space station. If they're not by the vent that sucks their carbon dioxide away, it stays around their face. But wouldn't mm. that be shown in an autopsy that they died from like carbon dioxide poisoning or something? Yeah, but I don't think it would show up as like a poison. Yeah, it I would think just, it would just come up as oh, they they, they didn't lost get oxygen. oxygen. Oh, interesting. I would think. I mean, I'm not a scientist i'm yeah i'm not one of those autopsy peeps but <laughs> peeps <laughs> not an autopsy peep, but a medical know. examiner that's yes what that's called. what they're called medical examiner <laughs> yes um but you know just to kind of end 
this article does say that older infants may not stay on their backs all night long, and that's okay. Like, once babies consistently, like, roll over from back to front, from front to back, it's fine to just let them sleep in the position that they choose to do so because they've got that strength Strength to move move around. Uh, But do not use... Like wedges or positioners or other other device, any other devices that claim to reduce the risk of SIDS. They actually say it's more harmful than it is helpful. Interesting. Then we should get those products off the market. <laughs> what the heck? I mean, I'm not going to get involved in that. I mean, I don't need any. Yeah, it's it is sad. The whole SIDS thing is just sad. I know, it's just and crazy. I was always scared to death. Something like that would happen. I know, isn't it? And I just think that's so odd. It talks about like that, like if the mom gave birth at a young age, like under the years of 20. I wonder if it's a developmental your, something. I'm wondering that's if That's what it I is. would say too. Like the, there's got to be something about maybe the lungs, respiratory system, some communication within I'm like, the brain. But then I'm like, what would the mom being young have anything to do with that? In my personal opinion, I would think that maybe they're just going off statistically speaking that younger aged people are not quite as responsible. And I'm not saying that means if you're 18 or 19 or 20 that you're more irresponsible to someone else. Do you mean but like the chances maybe of you not being, smoking or drinking yeah, or stuff while yeah, you're pregnant? like not getting okay. the right prenatal care or being on drugs or whatever. And I'm not saying okay. that everybody's going to be like that. Mm-hmm. But statistically speaking, I'm thinking maybe they're getting get older, that information. As you usually make better decisions. Decisions, yeah. That's my thought. But Okay. Could be. I mean, we don't know. We don't know. But that's all I had today for Sid. So. Okay. Is it my turn? It is your, your turn. turn. Okay. So I decided to do my free-for-all on... Um, so some people believe that you maybe go to a different dimension or something like that when you're dreaming. I think we've mentioned that. Ooh. Yeah, we've mentioned that. We haven't done an episode about it. So That's I'm excited so to hear it. Here's a little sneak Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> there isn't actually any necessarily like scientific evidence that says yes, we do, or but there's also no scientific evidence that says no, we don't. <laughs> so because I couldn't find scientific evidence of it, I just found people's stories who have had experiences or believe that that, that happens. happens. Someone on Cora asked, is it possible that what we dream is actually happening in another dimension? And I'm not sure if I just don't know how to use Cora or if the username was deleted, but I couldn't figure out who posted <laughs> the original question. That's okay. okay. Um, but a response from someone, their username was formal chemical processor. I don't ah, know what that means. Very smart. But okay. They said, this is a really good question for me because I really actually do, in fact, believe that the most beautiful dreams, along with the most horrible nightmares sometimes, can be linked to four-dimensional space and even to dimensions beyond. It is, however, important that the reader should understand that I'm not a psychiatrist or a scientist and that I've never been in a position that would entitle me to research REM sleep. But I have seen and read about such research being done on some of the science channels and magazines where modern-day scientists have learned that normal REM sleep is necessary for us to keep us from going insane through the stimulation of neural circuits and to help us function better during the day. On the other hand, however, no scientist can prove that dreams slash nightmares are not linked to other dimensions. It is also important to note that man is a relatively decent development in terms of geological time on this planet, We have barely just begun to develop the tools necessary to actually see and look into the microscopic realm. 
Have you ever experienced a dream that upon waking from it, you were so absolutely convinced and certain that it actually did happen somewhere else, perhaps in some other reality, and that you would almost bet your own life on it that it did in fact happen? Have you ever experienced a terrible nightmare about a very close loved one or a close friend being in serious life-threatening trouble and then find out later to your absolute horror and astonishment that the dream was in fact accurate and that it did happen? Were you ever troubled or disturbed by the sensation of deja vu that you had been through and or experienced being in a place and or identical situation before? Were you able to prove this or could modern day science disprove this? And then he finishes it by saying, since scientists are not yet into the best of my knowledge in a position to actually prove this one way or another, my own personal gut feeling tells me yes. <laughs> so in your research, and maybe you're going to answer this. So to me, you know, the first time I heard that, I'm like, no, I'm not going into another realm when I'm dreaming. But I think I could say not every time I dream, but then sometimes I dream and they seem meaningful and realistic. And so that's the ones where I'm like, oh, maybe that was a previous life or something. So mm -hmm. that's just a different way to look at it. Maybe it was a life I'm living in a different dimension yes. that I got a sneak peek of and remembered. Mm -hmm. I mean, they don't necessarily, I didn't find anything about that. I agree with you though, because I do feel like there are certain dreams that you wake up and you're like, hey, that dream I think was different than like mm -hmm. all my other weird dreams that I have. Or in this case where he specifically said, like, do you ever have a dream where you feel a certain way about it? So I think it seems like the vast majority of people who even do believe this also seem to believe that it's not all the time mm -hmm. from what I can gather. Yeah. <laughs> and then another unknown user, they were anonymous, um, they responded to the original post and they said, in life, we are all constantly discovering new things and seeing reality for what it really is. I cannot explain exactly what I feel like dreams are in perfect words, but I'd like to attempt to give my view on dreams. I have two ideas. I once had a dream where I met someone and I had gotten into a relationship with someone in that dream. Prior to this dream, I was going through a heartbreak over a girl that I couldn't get over. Seeing any other girl just didn't feel the same as it did when it came to seeing her. This girl in my dream, though, her face was so beautiful, so beautiful that I had completely forgotten about the girl I was heartbroken over in real life. It was as if it was a motivational message for me to move on. I had completely moved on from my previous state of heartbroken misery. Till this day, I still don't feel the same for that girl. I just see her as a normal girl now. I still have a few sentimental thoughts about her from, about her from here and there. Here and there. About her here and there. Yeah, they threw a from <laughs> in there, but okay, that's fine. <laughs> but I've suddenly completely moved on. In that same dream with the girl, she was over at my house. In the dream, I was very high and relaxed, and I felt very euphoric. The room was purple and dimly lit. We were lying down in bed together, chilling. There was no conversation, just pure emotion. We stared at each other, deep eye contact made, and there was a brief moment of pause. I woke up in the morning, but this was still in their dream, so they woke up in the dream. Okay. And continued dreaming. <laughs> she had left her social media username on my bathroom mirror. It was written on a small piece of paper in red, and the handwriting was kind of small. I looked closer and got the full username. Then the dream ended. I remember waking up and instantly remembering her username. I quickly searched it up and actually got a result, and it was the only result there. Oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. She still hasn't accepted the request, but I'm waiting for her response. Oh, <laughs> wow. wow. So this might actually be a real person A real person, Earth, yep. Too. They said, for this theory... In this dimension. Mm-hmm. For this theory, it is that dreams are spirits interacting with each other on the astral plane. They are reality, so they are actually happening in time and space. But since they are spirits interacting, it's not visible to the naked human eye. Everything that you're aware of, the other spirits are aware of as well. 
This isn't just something that you are only experiencing. The other spirits, spirits sorry, are experiencing the same thing. Spirits experience non-physical things on the astral plane. We experience physical things on the physical plane. I'd just say that spirits could create their own realms on the astral plane. Your spirit is leaving your body while you dream. So they're talking about astral projection. Yes. And it is interacting with other spirits while their body also sleeps. I like how they explain that, though. Mm -hmm. I thought it was interesting. Yeah, like that actually makes more sense to me. So like astral projection in his or her mind is that when you're sleeping, your spirit just creates its own type of dimension on this physical earth with the other spirits of people who are sleeping. Yes. That's interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's basically another dimension yeah. worse. Spirit. But I just had, just Spiritual the way dimension. they explained it like that was like, whoa, okay. <laughs> Mind blown again. Okay. And then they continue to say, what keeps your soul attached to your body is your silver cord. Once your body awakens, your soul is pulled back into your body, therefore causing a feeling of sudden shock. Your soul is re-entering your body. So from my consensus, I think that what happened was the girl had left her social media username to stay in touch after the dream had ended. Also, some other ideas about dreams. Dreams can be remembered because our soul has kind of like intuitive knowledge. It can somewhat remember what happened. Your soul sends the information about the dream to your brain upon awakening. The reason why you can't remember most of your dreams is because sometimes your soul doesn't send all the information to the brain by the time you've processed your way back into the physical reality. Your soul doesn't have a brain, so it doesn't store knowledge. It can only retain a bit of information, which it then forgets in a matter of minutes. Which I also thought it was interesting that that they think that. That is just... I mean, I I think that your soul, though, is what actually remembers that your brain isn't. isn't. I mean, your brain wouldn't work, I don't feel, unless your soul was there. Well, what I took from the way that they saw that was almost like, your soul is trying to tell your physical body, but it doesn't always have enough time. Ah, uh, that makes sense. Okay, so it's so the soul is still getting the information and then giving it to your to physical you. brain so you can actually remember it yes. in your waking life. I get what you're saying about the fact that, like, well, I mean, yeah, because, I mean, now we're kind of going into, like, a religious, or <laughs> I'm just thinking now, like, the, what I'm explaining goes back into, like, a religious background a little bit, but... Like, you know, like we believe, you know, we got here, got a body, whatever. And then our souls are with our bodies. A lot of like what we don't remember from when we came down is because our soul's not really telling. Like our soul probably remembers, but our physical human brain can't can't process it. it. So we don't get told. That actually makes more sense. Like the the soul knows it all, but it can only communicate so So much much. to your brain for you Or like what you can understand almost. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's also a big part of it. I think our brains can't understand a lot. (laughs) Yeah. So I thought this was interesting. And then also, if you don't even necessarily believe astral projection or something like that, I could almost believe, too, that this person that they looked up on social media, maybe they were with in a different dimension. Yeah. But just here, that person doesn't know who they are. Yeah. Doesn't. But like maybe that yeah, person like doesn't an, remember. So they get a request and they're like, I don't know who this person like, who is. Who the heck's this? Yeah. <laughs> like an alternate reality. But yeah. Th- now that girl needs to have a dream or something to get her to be like, oh, or something Click. to spark that memory of, oh, I do know this person. Or or at least something to make them curious enough to, you know, accept their friend request. Mm-hmm. Wow. But that was all I had. I do want to bring in my own little story real quick in regards to what she mentioned with the username and like all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it ties, but it relates, but maybe doesn't directly relate. But I remember in high school, I had a dream that there was this guy that I was like 
supposed to be marrying or something or I don't know anyways well I wake up I get ready to go to an early morning like seminar for a seminary yep and I'm sitting there and we're waiting like for people to come in and for the program to start whatever whatever and this guy walks in and like sits down and it just hit me I was like that was the guy in my dream and I've never seen him before well okay we were in the same high school, so it's not true that maybe I'd never seen him before. You had never noticed I just him never before. acknowledged or noticed him before. But because I had the dream, and he was in the dream, and it was him, and then he walks in, I'm like, whoa. And then from then on out, it was like this weird, I won't say obsession, but it was this weird, like, then I noticed him, like, everywhere. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of, like, developed a crush for some unknown reason. Didn't even know him. Nothing about him. <laughs> but anyways. You're exposing It yourself. didn't go anywhere. <laughs> didn't go anywhere. But just I think it's odd to think that things like that happen. Oh, I've had that before. Actually, I remember once when I was young, I had a dream about a boy that I really would not have liked. Um, I may have even at some time kind of thought that this person was kind of gross. But then I had the dream about him. And in the dream, I was like friends with him and maybe crushing on him. And then after that, I couldn't ever look at him as like the same. You're gross. (laughs) It was always like, oh, well, I bet. It was almost like it changed my mind to where I'm like, oh, he's a nice kid. You know, didn't come from money, and so maybe his clothes weren't the best or didn't, gotcha. you know. Like your perspective or, changed. Yeah, or maybe, you know, like, what am I trying to say? Hygiene wasn't the best, mm-hmm. those things. But I did have some classes with him, and he was a really nice kid. So I think it's interesting, though, that I had that dream. And because of the dream, I completely changed how I interacted with him. And this is when I will say, God works in mysterious ways. True, <laughs> true. Because maybe he's having a rough time. True. Maybe, maybe he needed a friend. Maybe he needed a friend or not even like that, but maybe he just needed the like energy of somebody on his side, let's say. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, mom. It's my turn. Your turn. Yay. So I was looking out on the interwebs trying to decide what subject I wanted to talk about today. And I found something very interesting and something that I think is important for us to know, especially this time of year, to be more mindful of homeless people, actually. Mm, okay. It was some information on uh, from actual people who were homeless at one time about how they survived. Like, where did they uh, find as the best place to sleep? Okay. So it's kind of tips and tricks and what some hmm. people did. So I'm just going to go through it and read I mean, some of their stories. I mean, hey, the the... The hope would be that no one has to go through that. Mm-hmm. But it I'm not going to lie. It would be good to know tips and tricks from those of those who have been through that. Yeah. And the big thing I picked up in this article, which, you know, or it's not an article. It's different people's posts from Reddit. But there's one person whose story, um, you know, it's not like they chose to be homeless and they weren't into drugs or anything mm-hmm. like that. It was just a situation that caused them to be homeless. And yet they were kind of villainized or treated less than. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, you know, this is, I don't know, a good reminder for me. And I hopefully it's a good reminder for everybody else, too, to be kind. So, um, oh, sorry. It was from Cora. Not Reddit. Not Reddit. Sorry. Wow. Did Cora, no one use Reddit? Same difference. No, I was going to say, did no one use Reddit today? Because nope. I think that's a first. Oh, that's that true. needs to go on like the record of <laughs> Dead to the World. We need to like put a little award up. Yeah. <laughs> this episode did not use Reddit. <laughs> All right. So the first one was from Wes Browning. It says, I was homeless in Seattle in 1996 to 97 and regularly slept in a huge field in Interbay. Interbay is a flat area between two hills. 
I think the field was on either side of a landfill or a toxic dump site. Anyway, it was on the order of the size of about maybe four to six football fields and was overgrown with grass about four feet tall. The area was ringed with high-rise apartment buildings looking down on it. But other than that, light from the apartment buildings and a couple of street lights um, along a passing road, the field was unlit. I waited until dark and moved in with two tarps, one to put under me. The one over me was black. I basically was in the line of sight of all the people in the apartment buildings, but I blended in to the darkness. I saw other homeless guys walk past the field all the time and move on, probably thinking they'd be too exposed, so I had it all to myself. The field isn't there now. It's now the site of a golf course. Dang, oh interesting. Goodness. But smart. But yeah, he found a way to just keep hidden. I mean, that would be my number one concern if I happen to have been home, like be homeless, is that when I'm sleeping, and I mean, I'm sure this is because I've never been in that situation. I'm sure after a while, if that's your situation, you get used to it. But like sleeping and not knowing like who's seeing you or who's walking around you mm -hmm. or like, I don't know. Yeah, there's, there's some stories in here that talks about that a little bit. Uh, the next one is from Maggie Day. It says, oh, so many places, the space beneath an evergreen tree with branches that reached the ground, a shed in the parking lot of some Home Depot uh, or some home improvement store, an abandoned vehicle, a crawl space beneath an occupied mobile home cuddled up next to the heating duct and terrified I might cough or sneeze or otherwise betray my presence there. Secret sleeping spots are everywhere, but it does take a while to learn how to see them. Dang, that's crazy. The next one is from Robert Hayes. Robert says, some like to live in their cars. Some would rather be in shelters. Others, mostly alcoholics or drug addicts, will sleep on the sidewalk. It's different for different people. I am homeless by choice. I like to set up a camp, preferably with the property owner's permission. I have a three-room tent complete with furniture. It's covered with heavy-duty tarps. The tarps are much larger than the tent. The extra space is my kitchen area, complete with a sink. Also, under those tarps is a screen room, no mosquitoes, and complete with his and hers recliners. Couch and chairs and tables for guests, flower gardens outside, potted plants inside. I am powered by solar. For less than $4,000, I have a refrigerator, lights, air conditioning, and TV. Cell phone, laptop, and tablets are also powered by solar. The latrine and shower area is screened off for privacy. I take trash out twice a week, and yeah, I work. I am self-employed. I paint residential homes. A little way from my camp, I've set up a sanctuary for other homeless. More accurately said, I provide services for homeless addicts in recovery. It's, it is it is kind of cool. He says it's kind of like an underground detox rehab. Many homeless who fear checking into a more formal or public rehabilitation center the, their fear of government knowledge and consequences are common at what he calls the woods, a spiritual sanctuary. <laughs> <laughs> These men and women don't have to worry. So that is how I, a homeless man of 59 years old, leads my homeless lifestyle. No, most certainly not the common homeless person. My slogan is, "Help people helping people is what I do. Aww, That's awesome. I like that a lot. Dude, yeah. if I'm ever homeless, I'm going to him. Yeah, yeah. And he had pictures. Uh, maybe I'll send them to Lexi yeah, so she send can them post to them. But yeah, he had pictures of like his house, his little encampment that he has set up. I mean, wow. 
while you were reading that, I was thinking about how much money I would have if I didn't have to pay rent. And I was right. Like, I'd have so hmm, much money. He's got some figured out there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, he's got the system down. See, and I think it all depends too. Like I like my stuff. I'm a very sentimental person. Mm-hmm. So you like to have a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. I, I just would have a hard time. Like, cause if you're homeless, like you can't take all that. A, you can't have all that stuff. It would get ruined in the elements and B, you know, people could steal your stuff really easily. Think about, think about though, if you did have to become homeless, how much stuff you could, you'd have to get rid of and then how much money you'd have Yeah, for well, a short period of time. <laughs> well, and just the freedom. Like I, I didn't, every That's time true. we move, you get rid of a bunch of stuff and it's amazing how sometimes you feel amazing getting rid of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I'm not responsible for that stuff anymore. You have to Marie Kondo it or whatever her name is. Wait, exactly. What? The organization lady where she says to look at, are you talking about that? Yeah. Marie Kondo, right? Yeah, but I don't know who that is. Uh, the way you said that and then looked at your phone, I was scared something happened. That oh. you were like, oh my gosh, no, what? So I got concerned for a minute. Marie Kondo, oh. I swear you're the, ones that t- you're the one that told us about her. No. No, I only I I live by the Swedish death cleaning. Oh, what? Does yeah, that mean? you better explain what that is. <laughs> so, okay, hold on. But Lexi, tell me who this is first and then I'll explain. The Marie Kondo? That's, yeah. that's her name. She's a clean. I don't know. She wrote, a, has written books and stuff on how to help clean. Oh. And she's the girl that it's like, does this bring you joy? Yes or no. And if the answer is no, you get rid of it. Mm, okay, I followed that, but I guess I just didn't know yeah. her name. And maybe. I think on Netflix she has shows that you can watch. She does. Interesting. But what's this death Swedish death oh, thing? The Swedish death cleaning. It's a method in which you organize and you declutter your home with the idea of like before I die. So basically what you don't, don't want like to that. leave your family with, right? <laughs> yeah. Isn't that what you're saying? Like if this isn't something my family's going to want after I'm gone, I should just get rid of it now. Like for example, if I keep this item, would it lessen or what's the opposite of lessen? Greater? Greaten? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Improve? Imp- would this improve or Add not Add value? Yeah. The burden of a loved one after you pass. Okay. Oh. So like if I, let's just Would say, it lighten? Yes. The burden. The load. <laughs> so when I cleaned out the Springville house when we were getting ready to sell it, I like literally lived by that motive. I was like, okay, if I died tomorrow, is this something that I'm going to really care that I had? Is it going to like, if, should I just get rid of it now? And it would lessen the burden of what my loved ones would have to go through and figure out, okay, was this important? Was this not important? Mm-hmm. Are, are we going to feel guilty getting rid of it? Are we not? Is she going to be upset that we got rid of it? Are you not? You know, basically it's like if I die and the things that I have, they're things that I kept on purpose. It's not yeah. just trash or clutter. In the nicest way possible. That is a very morbid way to look at it. <laughs> but I think it's because I am such a sentimental person. That you had to really go to I, that extent. Yes, too. I have to go to that extent because I'm... To I let go. It's so funny because I don't think anyone would come into my home and I'm thinking back now to like Springville House that I'm a hoarder. No, Because my house is not. like, I'm just going to say Super it, organized. pristine. But... I have a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I just had to go to that extent to get rid of some things I don't really need. Yeah, I can imagine all those boxes from high school that you would not get rid of when we moved to Charlotte. And then they just yes. sat underneath your bed for four and years and the then got too. moved back. Yes, that's the thing too is I was way worse when I was younger versus yes. now when I'm older. Yeah, you've learned how to let very go. good at getting rid of stuff now. Okay, so back to homeless people <laughs> and where they like to sleep. Sorry, and, their th- and not their things. <laughs> okay, this one is from Dinah Cox. It says, okay, don't freak out, but a space blanket in a cemetery is a good idea. 
Nobody likes cemeteries, but they are usually unoccupied by the living for that reason. I have parked at cemeteries and lit those tea light candles in my car. I have actually stayed warm by putting a few on the dash. You must be careful, though, not to start anything on fire. I also close off the front or the back with curtains pre-made for such purpose. One time when I was at a Grateful Dead show and lost all my gear that I hid in a parking garage, so I was cold and alone and the bars were all closed and I ran into some street people. We started moving to stay warm. They showed me those uh, places with the vents that blow hot air and that was a nice tip. Alas, the cops are always making us move. So I asked the street people where a cemetery is. You'd be surprised how frightened people are of those places. But we had to climb a wall to get in but with the space blanket that I had in my small pack, it was okay. You need these things at all times. One, your ID. Two, matches or a lighter. Three, warm clothes, socks, and a hat. And four, some $1 bills. Five, a cell phone. And six, a space blanket. Those are like the homeless essentials. Okay. Wow. Not great, but better than nothing. Meanwhile, there are the all-night bus stations and train stations. Try to have some money on you and be like a tourist. Abandoned bleachers and the penalty box in an ice rink are also nice shelters. I also travel with a poncho made of thick material my mom gave to me about 30 years ago. It is the warmest thing imaginable and can ward off the cold and suffice as an emergency blanket, tent, and cover. Small tarps are also very warm as an outer shelter. Another good tip is good socks and a hat always. The next morning, it was still cold, and the street people showed me another way to stay warm. To ask other people for help, people are amazing and will give you something to keep you warm instead of money. Just ask. I was given a jacket with a liner, a blanket, and a cup of hot soup, and a hot chocolate. I never found my gear, but when I got home a few days later, it was there. Some dead head had sent it to my address that was written in my address book. Wow. So I don't know if it was their home or if it was someplace they stayed in between or something. But That's a good point, though, because even if I didn't have cash on me or something, if a homeless person was like, do you have anything to help me stay warm? And I did happen to have a jacket or something in my car, I'd give it to them. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think it just there's this weird stigma nowadays of like, well, they just want the money for drugs or they just Mm -hmm. want the money for alcohol. And that's not always the case. But unfortunately, there's that stigma around it. So, And even if that is the case, I don't think they should have to freeze. (laughs) You know what I mean? Maybe I won't give you money. They don't deserve to freeze. Well, I know. But I remember, so in Charlotte, uh, Tasha and her friends made these blank or these little packs that had like They were called blessing bags. And they, yeah. They they had socks, hand sanitizer, granola bars, like. A little bit of money. A little, like five, six dollars, like little happy, like pick me up type of notes. There was like uh, the little like dental picks, a little toothbrush, like just little. Yeah. A pair of socks. Just like a little care package. And some people in, because Charlotte does have a homeless population. And so. When we were in like the uptown area and you were passing those out to people, there was, wasn't there one person that was like, I don't want your stupid pack. All I remember is there's a guy standing in like near a Wendy's and we stopped to give him one. And he's like, oh, no, thanks. Like, I don't need that or I don't want that or whatever. And I said, okay, I'll go give it to somebody else. Literally drove around the corner and gave it to some lady who was like, thank you so much. And it's like, hey, that just proved that she was just being thankful for what we were offering where the other guy just wanted money. Mm-hmm. Little did he know there were six bucks Yeah, in little did yeah, he know there was $6 in that. <laughs> yep. All right. So the next one is from Sadie Marie Forrest. 
Homelessness drastically affected my sleep patterns, something that still affects me nearly two decades later. I learned to take naps rather than sleep for long periods because there weren't really many safe places to sleep for long. I was 17 and rather pretty, although I didn't really realize it at the time. And my town didn't have much of a community for homeless people back then, so I always felt at risk of rape or kidnapping if I slept too long. I was really lucky in that I was in the first year of sixth form, A level, and I think this is, I think she's in the UK. So I don't know exactly what that means, but it's a level of school. Hmm. Uh, when I found myself homeless. Wait, like? High school. I know, but like 4A, 5A, like the teams? No. Like sports? No, okay. it's just a different, they do their levels like where we might say 12th grade. Oh, so okay. sixth form A level. I don't know what that means, but it is something to do with school. And I believe high school from what she says. Okay. So a certain number of things are half expected from students that wouldn't be accepted from older people. And I also benefited from the student infrastructure, which made life easier. I napped in study carols at the library. If I was surrounded by open textbooks and homework, I could often catch an hour shut eye before anyone disturbed me. Oh, she's in college. Yeah, this says, I just she's Googled it. It says school six forms tend to offer an exclusive list of A-level qualifications for students to choose from, ranging from moderate languages to chemistry. Students are usually required to pick three A-levels and one AS level. So I guess it's like okay. the, the classes. Yeah. That's what it sounds like. Because her next statement here says, my college. So she's in college. My college had a deal with all the gyms in the area that gave students free access, and I'd gotten my membership card before I became homeless, so I took naps in locker rooms and on piles of yoga mats. If I chose one of the back rooms and went during a free period when most students were in class, I'd be left alone from anywhere from 30 to 90 minutes. Once the weather got warmer, I became homeless in February. It lasted four or five months. I'd set myself up as a sunbather in the parks something that's extremely common in London, and as soon as we get a few warm days in spring and summer. It's strange how cops will chase you away for sleeping in the park at night, but if you do it in the daytime with sunglasses and a tank top surrounded by people, nobody even notices. <laughs> that was my main goal. Don't get noticed. It was only ever semi-attainable for whatever reason. I have always been one of those people who draws attention. But while people still notice me, I think I kept them from ever noticing I was homeless. Of course, I was lucky and had a certain degree of privilege. Pretty white teenage girls can get away with a lot. Yeah. Hey, don't tell us. Our, don't tell everyone our secrets. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, we are no longer teenage girls. I know, girls. but I'm just yes, saying. Say. Um, also, really quick, I know we've already like moved on from this, but the sixth form uh -huh. is 12th grade. Oh, Okay. Um, so it says between 16 and 19, you can get in a level A oh, so it's when probably, you're in 12th grade. You know, I almost think it's kind of like when we do college classes in high school. In high school. Okay. Yeah, that's kind that of what I'm sense. gathering, but yeah, who's to say? All right. And the next one is from Zach Johnson. It said, I took showers in the youth hostel for free. The youth hostel on every floor, they have a common shower area for people living at the floor on that floor. I went to the hostel. They never ask every visitor if you really live there or not. I took the lift upstairs and taking my hot shower. Not only that, every floor has a common kitchen area for people to cook. Many times the guests leave brand new pasta or cereals and sauces there. 
So after the shower, I would turn to the kitchen and make a healthy meal for me, then wash my dishes, of course. This was in Geneva, Switzerland, and I was homeless for four months. Wow. Mm-hmm. I mean, here's the thing, too. I th- there's a lot of people, I bet, that are homeless right under your noses, and you just don't know because... They're able... They... Well, that's one thing you'll... I think I have another one that talks about it a little bit, but, like, keeping clean and not looking homeless is the best way to go under the radar and be able to right. be more comfortable. Yeah. If you can. I mean, if you everyone can. doesn't have those situations where those are accessible but Mm -hmm. so the next one is from kimberly reagan i found an empty room at a hospital next to some conference rooms it had a phone line in it so i could make calls if i needed to it also had a couple of waiting area type benches i would push together i could stretch out comfortably and sleep i did this for several months a couple of times a week it protected me from the elements and i felt pretty safe there for a while I never told anyone and was always respectful of the area. It kept me out of trouble and gave me a way to reach out. It kept me grounded while I was riding the crazy train. Nice. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, hey, I'm sure that was a blessing in disguise. Definitely. Uh, The next one's from Mary Jane Bergman. She said, honestly, I slept with strangers, usually men, usually under the pretense that I was choosing them, but I was choosing shelter and paying for it with the only coin I had between the ages of 14 and 16. At the time, it was just what I did. When I was older, I learned I could work hard and pay my way without having to be obligated to trade sex for the right to be there. I, ha- I still had sex with way too many men. I was very promiscuous in my 20s and 30s, as many of us lost girls were. I have pushed back on the tendency but still equate my worth with my appearance and sexual attractiveness more than I should. It's not vanity, but more like an instinctual readiness to have a means by which I can survive should my world randomly crumble to nothing beneath my feet. This is highly unlikely, is a highly unlikely event, yet I'm ever prepared. I don't regret it. I feel relatively unscathed by my slut period, as in Picasso's blue period, we came out ahead, alive and only slightly twisted. Only slightly twisted. I like <laughs> how she adds that. Yeah, that's a good one. And then this one is from Lucky Duck. I was a traveling freight train rider bum, so I visited a few cities and found a few bomb ass spots. But Ann Harbor, Michigan was the best. It was 123 South Main Street. There was a liquor store that we ordered to the squat, a half a block away, a religious community center with a weekly food bank, working electricity and working water, but the water heater was broken. Next was Richmond, Kentucky. Love's truck stop exit behind the Valero gas station is a utilities room, which is overgrown. <gasps> I Pretty- think dad knows what they're talking about <laughs> just by saying that. He's probably been to that truck stop. Yep. <laughs> pretty much a concrete room off I-75 in a pretty wooded area. Hell, come here. <laughs> Just kidding. Sorry. Next, San Antonio, Texas. South side near the tracks. Green one-story house that ran along the railroad tracks about a half a mile from the uh, crew change. Had working power, but no water. Jensen Beach, Oregon coast. The huge old abandoned hotel. Hatford, California. Bum camp behind the big lot. And Winslow, Arizona, old bashy grocery store off 140 next to the McDonald's. <laughs> I just thought that was cute. I was like, well, if you live in this area, he's telling you the best Where place to, to stay. All right. And then the last one is from Anonymous. 
Anonymous. Yeah, this is the one that goes into a little bit more detail. It says, I ended up on the streets when I lost my job as a living caregiver for an elderly couple. I lost the job because I had my first grind mall seizure while watching them. It was 4 a.m., and after I came to, I called someone to take me to the hospital. But I made sure to call my client's daughter to alert her. No matter, they still fired me. I took the job as a caregiver to escape my marriage, which had turned abusive. I had no money or place to go because I was a stay-at-home mother for six years. So I found myself at a community kitchen mixed with people who just got out of prison or jail, halfway houses, veterans, and psychological pro- with psychological problems, and young runaways, rapists, child molesters, and murderers, etc. I was very lucky to have survived it. I'm not, a, I'm not movie star quality gorgeous, but I am a reasonably attractive woman, and I could feel the eyes of perverts on me as I walked around. There were a couple of women who were raped and killed a block away from the soup kitchen. Oh, my gosh. And I believe that the only reason why I survived was because I surrounded myself with the the least of the depraved and never ventured alone. I spent a total of three months on the streets in the coldest winter in Tennessee that has has ever been seen in a century. That was probably in 2015 because that's when we moved to Charlotte and that was like the worst winter they had for like a long time. I slept in 16-degree weather. There were many times that I wasn't sure that I would wake up in the morning. I averaged 15 to 20 miles a day on foot, either looking for work or walking to sell plasma. For the most part, the homeless have no shame. They have seen and lived through the worst of times and have seen the evil side of mankind. People who weren't homeless treated me as if I was a disease, a freak. I have been asked to leave places because I was visibly homeless, Cussed out while walking down the road from passing cars. Made fun of. Maybe if others knew my origin story, I wouldn't have been treated so inhumane. When I finally was able to get off the streets, I still had several months to go to shake off the streets. I would jolt up in bed screaming if I was woken up by even the slightest thing. I still felt unwanted and hated by society. I am still dealing with the abandonment issues from my mom, who encouraged me to leave my marriage, but never once asked me to stay with her to get me off the streets. Crazy. Wasn't that so sad? That is sad. I mean, it sounds like she, it was still good she got away from the situation. Yeah, I was going to say, like, even though it was hard and, like, unfortunate, in the end, I think she's thankful that she is where she is now versus if she would have stayed. Yeah. But I think that that's the sad thing, too. A lot of people do stay in relation, in abusive relationships because they don't have anywhere to go. They don't have any money to go find somewhere else to live. Yeah. Well, I mean, people who are like that, usually the first thing they do is con- start trying to control your money and stuff so that you can't leave. Yeah. So. Yep, that's true. So anyway, but I just thought that this was enlightening. I hope that I don't know if any homeless people are going to be listening to this. I mean, she was saying it's important to have a cell phone, so maybe. <laughs> but But yeah, just be be kind and be i don't know be kind that's all i can say it's always a good idea to be a nice person yeah it doesn't well, cost anything to be nice exactly it's free. you just don't know people's stories you can't just assume everybody is a certain type of person and that's why they're on the streets and again it's a good reminder not even just for homeless people you yeah. don't you don't know what the people you talk to every day are going through true very very true and one nice word from you might be the thing that changes their entire day Yep. So so our goal for you this first week of the new year is to do something nice for someone this week. Yep. I think that sounds great. And we will do the same and we'll report back. Sounds good. Yeah. I. Um, oh, now we're accountable. Yes. Yeah. Kidding, I'm just kidding, joking. 
on Facebook, uh, Dad's aunt posted this thing that was like, at the end of every week throughout 2023, write like just a little note of the best thing that happened to you that week. Mm -hmm. And then that way, at the end of the year, you can like sit down and read all of the, you'll have 52 weeks of um, things to read. Things to read. I like that. That's a good idea. And I thought that was great too. Well, all right. Please email us at dead to the world podcast at gmail.com and follow us at dead to the world podcast on social media and rate and review us on spotify or itunes or wherever you like to listen <laughs> that was that was beautiful, beautiful. Thank, thank you, you. and join us next week to find out what happens when we are dead, dead to, to the, the world, world.